0: Hey everybody. Welcome back to Keychains. I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. And boy, our tournament week was a bust, wasn't it?
1: It was rather unsatisfying.
0: Yeah, we went to a local game store. Not that this was their fault, but we showed up and we were the only three people there. Uh, so we ended up just playing a lot of uh a lot of games by ourselves with our our good friend Brian.
1: Yeah. Uh, that it was that actually ended up being uh...
0: pretty fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the uh, we even tried out multiplayer, which worked out really well. We, um, I know there's some multiplayer rules floating around on the internet, the because um, uh, everyone's kind of trying their hand at it. The one that we went with was um, normal hand size. You still only activate one house. Um, first player. Well, I guess I shouldn't name the things that are not different, and just name the things that are different. Uh, The only thing that was different from a normal key forge game was that each key went up in cost by one ember. So the first key anyone uh, that a single person forges was six. The next key that person forges is seven, and then the one after that was eight. And that kind of allowed this catch-up mechanic where steve falls behind on keys brian and i go up on keys we're two keys you know needing our third steve then is able to craft a little quicker to catch up to the to that second key where we are and work on his ember without you know blowing us away um and it worked out really well uh, there was some weird targeting stuff where like if it was a we decided that if a card referenced a singular opponent, then you just chose an opponent for that card to affect. Um, otherwise, if it was all enemies or all creatures or whatever, then it was, you know, all of them. Um, but it was it was really fun.
0: It, yeah, it didn't seem like it, it dragged things out or anything like that. It's still, I mean, it, it was a little longer than a normal game, but I think that scaling cost allowed for like those burst and returns to be like, well, instead of feeling so explosive and, and unbeatable, in some ways, not that not that explosive amber turns are unbeatable, but just those explosive amber turns were just like, well, now I'm just back at normal cost. That's not a
1: huge deal. Yeah, it kept people from just stealing the game out of nowhere because they needed a little bit more ember than usual.
0: Yeah, I still got my butt kicked, but that was fine.
1: <laughs> uh, and then we just played some, a couple of other games. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. My uh, Richard the Scaled deck. That's still um, it's just so synergistic consistent. I don't know. I'm very yeah, happy. Yeah,
0: so I had a I had an interesting thought while we were playing that game in particular. It was cause it was a moment where we both sat down and I think our first I don't know six turns went by like in a flash. Yeah. Like we knew what we were doing. We sat down, you know, played our cards. There was no question about what we were doing, how we were going to play these cards. It was just, here we go. All right, pass turn to you. And I'm, um, you know, oh past turn check and just kept going. It felt so fluid. It was really an interesting experience. I don't even think in our like magic play recently, like we've had turns that go, I mean, outside of like land for turn pass. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. So this week has been a week for FFG. Yeah. They posted that, that one article that we kind of went over a little bit on the previous episode. Uh, But then shortly after that, they, they posted something about their, uh, their organized play, vault tour um, that kind of gives us some details about the prize wall and things like that, which is exciting, but certainly not what I thought it was going to be about.
1: No. Well, so, so I guess what, um, what do we know about the vault tour so far?
0: So I guess this is outside of the actual organized play structure that they they showed at the time of triumph where it's that pyramid where it starts with their chain bound events to you know store championships and kind of scales all the way up to the world tour this is more of something where they're going to hold side events at big gaming event uh, conventions uh where you're gonna sit down for on-demand events get amber shards for playing those events and actually gain access to the prize wall without it being a tur- like a, an officialized tournament uh they're more, I guess, intended for anyone to kind of join in on and, you know, get some benefits for, for playing the game.
1: Very cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping that these tours would be kind of like, um, you know, when I hear Vault Tour, I'm thinking like, you know, organized play, competitive tournaments, that kind of thing. But it sounds like it's going to be more along the lines of just a like a fun, friendly little side event experience. Like you mentioned, without it being like massively competitive, um, which is good and bad. I don't. I I don't think Richard Garfield is a huge fan of competitive card game play. (laughs) Um, I know that his original ideas for Magic. uh, Richard Garfield, by the way, is the guy that uh, created both Magic and KeyForge. In case you don't know, Um, I know he. He wasn't really concerned with having high-level tournament competitive play for Magic, um, which that kind of went the other direction on him. Uh, so I don't know what his vision is competitively for Keyforge. Um, and obviously, FFG wants to kind of monetize this, uh, which as they should. Um, I know that what's probably going to make them the most money is sealed stuff, not Archon, Archon stuff. Um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how seriously they take uh, competitive, how, what their angle is going to be on competitive, how they're going to do their events and everything else. Um, but I'm a little disappointed it wasn't part of, of the Vault Tour at all. So it's going to be a, a little while before we see any announcements um, regarding major competitive play, I think.
0: I think you're probably going to hear more by Tuesday uh, since that technically all goes live then. Uh, if- oh, okay it'll be interesting to see what happens on Tuesday. I don't know. Again, it's all speculation. So until we actually know. So I think the, we're, we're honestly not going to see anything until the 22nd, uh, specifically because that's when the time of triumph, uh, time of triumph starts, uh, which I'm hoping the official organized play app or, or however they're going to manage tournaments starts then. Cause that's going to turn on all the things like, the official wins and losses and your chains for your decks. Uh, So we're going to start hopefully seeing those decks getting tuned down. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, this is, I think this is kind of a, their plan for getting people. This feels like your draft and your official drafts and official seals in, in other card games uh, where, you know, you're going to play, you're going to play for prizes and, cool but this is not what's getting you to the pro tour officially you know right so it looks like their events are starting in march uh with emerald city comic-con in seattle which is taking place in uh, march 7th uh, 14th through the 17th Uh, then they go to the netherlands after that from the 15th to the 17th so actually you're
1: you're not gonna name you're not gonna name the event in mean?
0: the Netherlands oh, I' oh, no. I <laughs> good God um, it really doesn't affect us let's just say that because uh, I'm not flying to the Netherlands to play <laughs> but if you're in the Netherlands go go look up the the fantasy flight games uh, this is the, the this vault is open article because uh, then they'll they'll go over all of the events there uh, but then following that is Adepticon, which is on the 27th and 31st in uh, Shamsburg, Illinois. Adepticon is, is a pretty big uh, event. I know a lot of people who go there. Hold on. So that'll be interesting. I, don't, I haven't heard about if anybody in our friend circle is actually going, but we'll, we'll find out from then. And then April 27th to the 28th is a Denver, Colorado event seemingly to be determined. Or at least they don't have a, a name published there. Uh, I didn't go look at that event, but the one that I was actually interested in outside of another particular one is the one that's happening on May 25th through the 26th in Atlanta, Georgia. That's at the Cascade Games event. I'm not sure what that is, uh, but it looks like it's FFG only. So that looks neat.
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks like we looked at some of the other events that were going to be occurring there, and it's it's things like X-Wing and L5R. Um, just, yeah, like a, a horde of ff uh, a horde of ffg um products being uh, on display so i don't know if it's limited strictly to theirs or um if that's just the only stuff there yeah i don't know
0: yeah so if anybody knows send us an email well or or let us know uh because we're curious uh if it is exactly or if it's only ffg or if there's other things going on there Uh, But then from there, we move on to May 31st through June 2nd at the UK Games Expo in Birmingham, UK. And then it is Origins through June 12th through the 16th, and that's in Columbus, Ohio. And then the one that you'll definitely find us at, uh, August 1st through the 4th, uh, is Gen Con in Indianapolis. This will be Ryan's first Gen Con. I hope you're excited for that.
1: I am very excited. I didn't realize it's the first through the fourth. That's a lot of days of KeyForge. Uh,
0: I don't know if they're actually. I mean, I think it's because again, it's the Vault Tour, right? So you're just going to sign right. up and do it. So it's just going to be on demand. Like they'll just fire off pods and and go. Unless right. we're unless I'm missing something from that article, which I don't feel I am. I read it twice last night. Uh, they're they're definitely going to be a lot of of KeyForge at GenCon. Uh, And then it goes to uh, Krakow, Poland, uh, August 25th to the uh, 20, I'm sorry, the 22nd through the 25th, still to be determined on the ticketing information on that or where it's even going to be. And then they have some planned events in Germany, Italy and Spain, but there's no dates on that. Uh, So there's a glaring problem with this event schedule, isn't there, though?
1: Yeah, there um are no events on the East Coast whatsoever. And there's only one event on the West Coast in Seattle. So if you're in the like, well, I guess Southwest could go to Colorado. I don't, my geography skills are failing me now. Um, but if you're in the Southwest, the Southeast or the Northeast, you don't have a lot of options as far as where you can go. You're going to, well, actually Southeast has Atlanta, Georgia. So really it's just Northeast that's kind of hosed a little bit. I mean, we've got, um you know illinois uh we've got illinois ohio indiana but i mean that's still not an easy trek um i guess that's probably the same for anyone in florida trying to get to atlanta but it still still feels bad it's surprising too they don't have like an event in new york although i'm sure that rental fees and the the logistics are would be expensive so Maybe FFG is like, look, we already sunk a ton of money into getting this game off the ground. Maybe we'll wait and get a little bit of revenue in, and then we'll start renting space in New York City.
0: Yeah, it just seems like with PAX East, and maybe it was just a timing issue, but it seems with PAX East kind of around the corner here that it would make the most sense to to have had something for that event. But I guess, I guess it just didn't happen. I did hear that there's some KeyForge happening there. I just don't. I don't know if it's a this official vault tour stuff, but yeah.
1: So, I guess what would you like to see in in the vault tour? Well, so what I'm what I'm hoping when we go to uh, Gen Con and possibly Atlanta um, is like I, I from what I understand it's going to be sealed events. It's going to be Arton events, um, and they're just going to be like you walk up, uh, you register to play. Um, they wait until however many usually it's a pod of eight typically for any of these things although for archon play it might be more people but they um they wait for enough people to show up uh and then they take you over to a table sit you all down and you play a couple rounds um and that's cool and all i'm used to doing that from like the um uh the magic events i've been to but i'd I'd like to have i'd like to see some kind of tournament structure like even if it's just a uh like a one day um eight event tournament with you know a, a cut to the top four and then a winner you like something like that would be interesting to see It would be really cool and it would only be a single day um i don't know what the prizes would look like for that but uh maybe a bunch of decks yeah <laughs> and then you'd have fuel for the next tournament um but that would be cool uh i mean i'm also interested in the prize wall um they displayed a couple items that are going to be on the prize wall uh it's a hoodie and a messenger bag and that's pretty cool um the way the prize wall works from our understanding is that every time you get a deck if you if you've registered your uh, if you've registered yourself on the fantasy flight games site or through the keyforge app um, you'll be able to register your decks and you'll gain ember shards you gain enough ember shards you get a key you co- accumulate keys you can trade those in at vault tour events possibly non vault tour events but we haven't heard anything um four prizes on the prize wall so far. The only ones they've shown are hoodie messenger bag, um, which they're, they're neat. I don't know, I'm not wild about the hoodie. Messenger bag is fine, but I'm not neither of those super appeal to me. Cause I already have a hoodie and a messenger bag that I like more. So, um, but I'm wondering like, like I'm sure they'll have sleeves. They might have deck boxes. They'll have play mats. They've got all of the organized play materials. I'm sure all of that will be up for grabs on the prize wall too. So I'm really interested to see what things we haven't seen already. Um, that will show up on the prize wall yeah
0: it it has this feeling so far and and this is not to knock it because i actually am am interested in both of those i i do like collecting hoodies for some obnoxious reason and the messenger bag is is kind (laughs) of nice but it definitely does feel like we're going to go to the prize wall and it's going to be a lot of stuff that you'd probably find at a, at a store. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like sleeves, coffee mugs or, like or things like that, which is cool. Like I'm, <laughs> I am not know to be that bad. <laughs> I, well, I mean, there's other game companies that have put out like product that are like coffee mugs around a faction or something like that, which is like, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I, that doesn't bother me at all. That's fine.
1: I guess the big thing that you miss out on, uh, so going to, to magic events, um, the prize walls show things like singles like you could trade in cards for singles you could trade in cards for uh alternate art foils that kind of thing and we haven't really seen how ffg plans on doing that kind of promotional card for keyforge is it going to be a situation where the where your deck name would appear on the bottom right they'll be on alternate art foil version that just has a generic name in the bottom and you can use that so if you have a lava ball in your deck and uh, you get a promo foil alternate art lava ball um, can you replace that into your deck so you get to use this fancy one even though it won't have your deck name in
0: there i really um, we
1: haven't seen any rules or anything around that i could see that being the case because it's basically just a fancy proxy and as long as you have the original and as long as this uh, it's the same, like, as long as Lava Ball is on your Archon card, it really shouldn't matter if it's the original Lava Ball, or if it's any other Lava Ball at all. As long as you don't have more Lava Balls than are on your Archon list. I really That's actually have a problem with that, personally.
0: I really don't actually want to see that. I, I think I'd rather there not be foils. I mean, you and I have played enough Magic to realize that foil is pretty much a bad time. Uh, I do think alternate art would be cool, but I think feel like that would be coming uh, that would become an issue with validity in a way um yep. but i, I mean it, we're, we're gonna probably talk about this a little bit later but i just don't want to show up to an event with this deck that i think is awesome that i sleep i put like this foil card in and i want to play with that foil card and show it off and then you know it's been bent just because of the nature of foil cards like i that would just, that's fair. that would not feel good to me. So I actually want them to really do, I I really do want them to avoid things like foil cards, uh, mostly because of, of just that that reason alone. Like, I, I don't want to show up well, with my fancy prize and then it'd it be, you know, garbage later in, or questionable.
1: That's completely fair. I think that's more a, a problem with um, making sure they use the right kind of printing process and everything else versus foils in and of themselves being bad. Um, not to derail us completely, but in the magic community, there's a lot of, uh, of upcry about the quality of foils as of late. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just inferior printing process and materials being used for the foils. And it's really frustrating. There's people that will actually, uh, there was someone that went to a tournament and they had a copy of a card and it was only available in foil because it was a special, it was released as part of a side product. So the only way, the, the only form of this card is foil uh, and they weren't allowed to use it. They had to get an official proxy from a judge because it was bent from just existing. Um, so if, if, if FFG does go the foil route and they go the same quality um that i've seen in other games that's going to be really really disappointing just like you said but even without that um alternate art promos would be super cool uh and it's not too worrisome at a competitive event because they'll do random deck checks and i think when you cut to a top eight traditionally i don't know if ffg will do it but traditionally when you cut to a top eight uh everyone is required to submit their deck for a deck check so if someone has you know their promo lava ball and a lava ball a regular lava ball in their deck and they only have one lava ball in their archon list guess who's gonna have a bad time and get kicked out of the tournament
0: that's fair so kind of moving on ffg also released their new rule book for the seventh time it looks like at least that's what the version of the the document is called or no it's the eighth time yeah, it's version 8. So, and it came with uh, the first errata of the of the game, which is interesting. So the nice thing about that is, I think, they're they're at least willing to listen. Because I, I feel, well, it's going to be no surprise that the errata was for Biomatrix Backup, a card which we reviewed or we talked about in our last episode. Uh, and it's good to at least see that they're willing to be okay with changing uh, the intent of the card, uh, specifically because I think the outcry uh, for Biometrics Backup was probably very large. Uh, it definitely killed the power level of that card quite a bit.
1: So... Oh, it felt so bad. It felt so bad playing that card, and then your opponent destroys it. Like, uh, I will choose not to have it go to your archive thank you very much
0: yeah and in turn like whenever we had a an opponent i mean we had an um my friend brian played it uh on tuesday and i was just like i'll just put it in your archive like
1: like that's how it should yeah. read and so just do that um yeah and the it's interesting though because if that wasn't the intent with it it I mean, we probably should have talked about this last week, but we didn't think of it then. Um, it would be—it's still an interesting card design space because it's only beneficial on your turn if it dies. So it's less—it's—it's it's less protection and more just you know card. Uh, I don't know.
0: Well, surprise, surprise. Card we benefit. Did talk about it last week. So <laughs> we didn't talk about that. I aspect think we did, as well as but whatever. it doesn't matter. Oh, well, then just cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so biomatrix backup should now read. Uh, destroyed put this creature into its owner's archives i can see this becoming a pain in tournament settings where someone didn't bother reading the rulebook uh hopefully that's not the case and but i mean ultimately really what it comes down to is it's going to slow things down when you play this card if someone hasn't read the rulebook because you just call a judge over and be like can you please you know inform my opponent of yep. the errata and then move from there or you know again playing miniatures games miniatures games have tons of errata and the thing that we used to do is just print that out the rule book out and you know have it in our bag in case of you know you can't do that thing you're like well actually here's the official you know pdf from fantasy flight games saying yes actually this is the case and and so that shouldn't shouldn't need to call a marshal over for that but if you do uh you
1: know. yeah it's not a big deal every in the tournament um rules and regulations you're required to have a copy of all errata all rule documents on hand as you know the tournament organizers is required to do so right. um, i believe that uh, players are allowed to refer to the rules or, or request the rules um at any time uh i may mistaken about that i'll have to double check um but i believe yeah i believe that they're they're entitled to those rules whether it's uh through definitely through a judge or a marshal um they may be able to just refer to them on their own that's part i'm not sure about
0: right so the next thing that uh kind of helps this game clean some things up a lot is uh, they've changed how the pit lord and restringitus uh interaction works uh, so what they've changed to is, or I shouldn't say they've changed, they've clarified that if you're ever in a position where you cannot do something or you must do something, must, uh, cannot will take precedent over other effects. So if you have a, co- like if the classic combo here is pit Lord requires you to choose dis, um, wow. Pit Lord requires you to choose dis as your house every turn. And then effects like Control the Weak or Restringitus, where you would choose a house and then that person cannot play that house, you effectively would lock them out. Now what happens is is if you can't choose the house that you must choose, you can choose a different house.
1: Right. So if I have my Pit Lord out, I can't choose Dis, and then my opponent tries to be cute and plays Control the Weak and chooses Dis, they basically just wasted their card.
0: Right. Or, you know, it, it become, Restringitus becomes kind of a, a creature right. that is locking the other person. So, effectively, Restringitus still has a, an effect, actually. It's just now backwards from what his actual effect would be. So now right. he's, <laughs> he's locking you out of this instead of keeping mm-hmm. you in this. Uh, yeah, interesting. So so that's super cool. I'm glad that they made that change because... Uh, it I don't actually know how it was programmed in Crucible and hopefully it was programmed correct. I never actually ran into uh, that that instance because I actually don't own a pit lord or a restringitus. So I never I've never now, actually is seen that, that a happen. Rule?
1: Now is that a rule change or is that just a clarification?
0: It was under the uh, frequently asked questions uh, of the rule book. Okay. So I don't think it was a effectively a rule change, it was just a clarification on the rules.
1: Gotcha. It was something that probably wasn't spelled out. It's just There's a fair few of those things. Um, right. For example, uh, the least and most powerful, how you choose a group of least powerful, how you choose a group of most powerful, and how that works. Um, this is another thing to get clarification in the, uh, the updated version 8 rules. Um, essentially, the... The way it works is that if something tells you to choose the X least powerful creatures or the X most powerful creatures, um, you start with the most powerful ones. So uh, a good example is um, the, uh, was it the fate of three? Uh, three fates. Fate of the three. Three fates. Wow. Yeah, I, I was close. I had fate. I had three in there. That's the thing. Uh, so three fates. um, it's an action for dis, generates an ember, uh, and when you play it, destroy the three most powerful creatures. Well, let's say the three most powerful creatures are power seven, power seven, power five. Um, you could incorrectly make an argument that the most powerful creatures are not three. There's only two most powerful creatures, a seven and a seven. So you do as much as you can and you destroy just the seven power creatures, these uh the errata the faq clarification says well no one of the three most powerful creatures are the seven the seven and the five um it goes into a lot more detail uh than it should but the common sense translation of it is that basically the three most powerful creatures can be in descending order and you stop until it stop when you hit the third if at any point you reach a tie so if there were uh, the three most powerful creatures and there were four creatures with power seven then the active player chooses which three
0: right and i think for the most part it was played this way Uh, honestly when you when you had mentioned this to me i really could not think of a situation i was like why did they clarify this rule like it i don't understand what the situation is and then as we were talking about three fates i was like oh yeah i guess that makes sense why you would run into a situation like this because it's again it's an interpretation thing
1: yeah if someone if someone came up to me and said hey how does this card work i would explain it the way that the the clarification describes like you go 775 in using the power example i provided earlier um, but if someone was explaining it to me it's like no the only, the most powerful creatures are the 27s be like i don't agree but i understand where you're coming from right. so it's good that they clarified it cuz now you don't have to have that awkward discussion in the middle of the game and call a judge over and be like i which one of us is you know yeah the correct person in this situation. Yeah. Um, So moving to the next uh, piece of the FAQ errata clarification um, is destroyed. Um, The FAQ has clarified that if multiple cards are destroyed simultaneously, they're put into the discard pile simultaneously and any non-destroyed abilities cannot trigger. Um, If a card has destroyed, uh, or rather a destroyed ability... The effect automatically resolves bef- uh, immediately before the card would be destroyed, which is also before it leaves play. So there's cards that. Um, uh, so Bad Penny is a great example of why a lot of this matters. Um, there is a card that I cannot, for the life of me at the moment, remember. There's a card, Stealer of Souls, that says, uh, after an enemy creature is destroyed, this is a creature, by the way, after an enemy creature is destroyed, fighting Stealer of Souls, purge that creature and gain one ember. Bad Penny is a creature that says, destroyed return bad penny to its owner's hand, I assume, or to your hand. I don't have the text in front of me, but okay. Um, so if you have bad penny, which is supposed to return to your hand, but you have it fight Stealer of Souls, which says purge that creature, how do you resolve that effect? And this clarification is supposed to kind of do that. Um, so the way it works is the kind of mental trick, and it's not a literal, you know, interpretation of the rules, but the kind of mental trick I employed is that if something has a destroyed ability, it's kind of like thinking of it as before destroyed. So if Bad Penny is going to be destroyed, she counts as being destroyed, but before she goes anywhere, her destroyed ability triggers, quote unquote, finger quotes that you can't see, and she would go back to your hand prior to the Stealer of Souls uh, purging her. So she never actually goes to the destroyed pile, but you know, on the the checklist of things that happened, the destroyed checkbox is marked off. So in this interaction, if uh, Bad Penny fights Stealer of Souls, um, Bad Penny would return to its owner's hand. Stealer of Souls would try to purge the creature, but the creature wouldn't be around anymore to purge. But you still gain one Ember because it destroyed uh, a creature was destroyed while fighting it. So it's one of those things that's kind of can be unintuitive in certain interactions, just the way that the the, the cards are worded. Um, there's not really a great, fantastic way of rewording these things, well, especially since they're physical objects that are you know already in print. Um, but the clarification does help kind of guide you through how to handle destroyed interactions. And hopefully my explanation didn't make things worse instead of better.
0: <laughs> I, I guess it, alternately there's another interaction that would seem like it would work the same way as Stealer of Souls. And that's actually Seeker Needle. Uh, It's just an artifact that has an action, deal one damage to a creature. If this damage destroys that creature, gain one. But the reason why it doesn't work this way is because Bad Penny isn't the criteria for the card being, or for the Amber to be gained. So she... Her existence doesn't need to be there for the cart for you to gain the amber from Seeker Needle. Where alternately, Bad Penny's existence is required to be purged by the time it's destroyed. So if she doesn't exist on the table anymore, the Stealer of Souls ability doesn't does not resolve. Uh, well, I should say the the purging aspect of it does not resolve because you can no longer purge her. She
1: doesn't exist. It's weird. It's it's yeah. We we could probably spend a good half an episode going over the nuances of destroyed, but I think we've <laughs> we've uh, probably exhausted uh, short term patience on the topic. Right.
0: So the the next part, uh, I brought this up mostly because I actually played this thinking that it would work this way, and it does not. So healing zero damage does not trigger effects that require you to heal damage. Uh, so if an ability uh, heals a creature, remo- you remove the specified amount of damage from the creature. If the ability fully heals a creature, remove all. So that is just the rules text for healing. So their clarification here is that any creature can be chosen to be healed by a card effect that heals. So you can target something at full health with a heal effect, even if it doesn't have any damage on it. However, if no damage is removed from the creature, it has not been considered healed for the purposes of card effects uh, that reference healing. So there, the one card that I immediately thought of, which is the card that I played totally wrong, is Vigor. So, Vigor is an action. It is heal three damage from a creature, or heal up to three damage from a creature. If you do, gain one amber. It also gives you an amber when you play it. So, my trick was oh, well, I'll just heal the creature for three, even though it doesn't have any damage on it, and still get the purpose, like the effect of the card, because that was just where my brain was at at the time. Um, but it does not do that. Uh, you cannot. If you did know healing, you do not gain the benefit of healing effects.
1: Makes sense. But you can still um target things with it, which is relevant.
0: Right. So if you need to like the the one thing, the one tactic I think I've learned lately is if I have a card in my hand, keeping it there a lot of the times is gonna is just mm-hmm. slowing me down. And if it's of my house and it gives me an amber, you know playing it for the amber instead of discarding it, is probably the better idea. I mean, I again, you, don't, I don't have to discard the card, and I don't have to play it, but if if I'm just running into a, a situation where I'm not going to be able to to use this card anytime soon, if I can't foresee me needing to use this card in the next three turns, I generally yeah. just play it for the Amber, just so I have it, and then it's on the table, and I didn't throw this card in the trash and, and not use it.
1: Yeah, I'm of the same opinion. You just flip a card for Amber. Because, I mean, so if... My, my kind of decision-making process for this is that if the card can make a substantial impact on the board, so, you know, uh, a board wipe or um, something that'll steal a ton of my opponent's ember, if it has a substantial impact on the board, then I will hang on to it for at least a few turns. Um, for something like a, like a steal ember effect, if my opponent is far away from generating that much ember, I might just cycle it to get the Ember off the card itself, even though I'm not going to get the effect. Um, A good example is Miasma. Uh, Miasma is an action that generates an Ember when you play it, Um, and when you play it, your opponent skips their next Forge-A-Key step. So sometimes my opponent might have zero Ember, uh, and I might be at five, and I'm going to say I'm not going to hang on to this Miasma, especially if my hand doesn't have a lot of shadow. I'd rather get a new card. Um, but I want that Ember still, so I'll still play it, get my Ember. The part about them forging a key is completely irrelevant in this situation, um, but that will allow me to cycle through a a little bit faster and get some benefit, where otherwise it's just a dead card sitting in my hand. It's almost like having a permanent chains um, at that point if you're not going to use it for multiple, multiple turns. Uh, And chains are awful, because drawing cards is awesome, and chains prevents you from drawing cards. (laughs) Right. So, um, speaking of chains, uh, one of the, the next to up was, uh, Mulligan does not shed chains. So what some people were thinking was that, um, so you can, you can start a game with chains because of the, the power of your deck, how much you've played it, that kind of thing. Uh, which means that you draw fewer cards in your opening hand. Um, well, chains also says that whenever you draw cards, you draw fewer cards, but you knock your chain down a level. So people were saying, well, in that case, I mulligan my opening hand. I'm drawing new cards. That should lower my chains, right? It does not. Um, It's kind of a before the game has even started thing. So it was in this weird limbo because chains applies, but the game hasn't started, but you're still drawing cards. And so they clarified that if a player is using a deck that has chains applied to it at the start of the game and they take a mulligan, they do not shed a chain from doing so but they still draw one fewer card than they had before the mulligan as per the normal mulligan rules so it's kind of an interesting little clarification that i didn't even think of but it makes perfect sense
0: it's one of those clarifications that i read and was like okay that made sense before we clarified it like this feels like one of those clarifications because someone was trying to rules lawyer yeah rules lawyer or or kind of grammar their way through it
1: and, and i right but at the same time, I kind of, kind of like we were talking about with the most and least thing. I, I, get what they're saying. Like, I mean, I don't agree with it. I think that the spirit of the rules is such that it should kind of be common sense. But you know what? Rules as written, when it comes to any sort of you know tournament environment, if there's prizes on the line, um, you know, rules as written or rules as written. And its chains say that whenever you draw a card, which would be including a mulligan, the way mulligans are rule uh, worded, you drop a chain. And you know, technically. So it's good, it's good that they clarified it. This is actually yeah, really good for for competitive, uh, looking forward at any sort of competitive event. It's good that they're jumping right on top of this stuff and clarifying things because how miserable would it be to go into a tournament um, and go up against someone that has a really, really powerful deck and has chains because they have a really, really powerful deck. They're like, okay, I'm just going to mulligan a couple times and I'm going to start the game with no chains even though I start with fewer cards in my opening hand because I'm just going to fill right back up. Right. Well, I guess they can't mulligan a few times, but
0: yeah, you can only mulligan once. So, uh, so that brings us to our next little bit. And just a quick note: uh, we this isn't all of the Errata changes or clarifications that posted in the new rulebook. We'd highly recommend you go download the rulebook from the Fantasy Flight website and read through them yourself. Uh, but we just picked out ones that kind of jumped out at us for just different reasons that we were involved in or we could see, you know, being relevant. In, in fact, a couple of them we've had like conversations with friends because they were, you know, kind of confused by it uh, or, or just because of the interpretation. It just didn't seem to read the way they thought it would read. Uh, but the next one is Shadow Self does not take damage that would be dealt to armor. Uh, and now that I think about that sentence, it doesn't, that's still not clear. But what I'm saying is if you have a shadow self next to you raiding night, where shadow self is a nine power creature that when shadow self is in a, in a fight, regardless if it is fighting or it is being attacked, it does not do any damage. Then any damage dealt to non specter neighbors is dealt to shadow self instead. So if you have two cards right next to Shadow Self and someone tries to fight one of those cards that is next to Shadow Self, Shadow Self will take all that damage. But that only resolves when the card would like damage would be placed on the card. So if you have a situation with Raiding Knight, which Raiding Knight is a four-power creature with two armor that captures one when you play it, uh, if you have that sitting next to the shadow self and you attack the raiding knight the raiding knight's armor takes the damage first. And then any damage that would be placed on the raiding knight would then be transferred over to the shadow self. So it's a kind of tricky way of actually still giving the the shadow self two armor, effectively.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting timing clarification. So armor is applied first, then damage redirection is applied, and then damage is applied yeah sort of Uh,
0: i'm (laughs) i honestly did not think about this uh i just assumed what you know the way it was played is you know you would would deal four damage to that creature all that damage would get
1: redirected and the armor would stay yeah I, i was thinking the same thing right because you're it's like the the way i'd interpreted it um Almost a, whenever I try to interpret rules, it always comes up as a story in my head. But the way I imagine it is that the raiding knight is standing there. Someone throws a tomahawk at it. The specter gets in the way and takes that hit. Uh, so the knight's armor is irrelevant. But I guess what really happens is the specter is wearing the knight's armor, and maybe he's using the bathroom. Yeah, so I but it works differently. Is the point? So it's it's interesting. So that means that Bulwark, um, which is a four power creature with two armor, uh, but the relevant part is that each of Bulwark's neighbors gets plus two armor. So if you have Bulwark on your left flank, and then to the right you have Raiding Knight, and then to the right of the Raiding Knight you have Spectre, that means that Bulwark gives plus two armor to the Raiding Knight, giving it four armor, which means that Spectre has four armor if someone tries to attack the Raiding Knight. Which is ridiculous. Uh, sorry. Spectre. Yeah, the uh, the shadow. Yeah, Shadow Self, because it is a Spectre. Uh, shadow has the armor that Raiding Knight has. So that that extends the usefulness of Borg. Right, makes Bulwark, Bulwark just a boy. stronger card if you weren't already playing this way and aware of it. Man, I love Bulwark. Such a good card. So strong. So I guess
0: from there, just the the tournament topics that we've kind of been keeping towards. Uh, we kind of been paying attention to a lot of the different communities most specifically reddit a lot of people have have talked about uh different token suggestions for tournament or just token suggestions and and, and we want to talk about tokens in the sense of if you are ever planning to play in a KeyForge tournament or even if if it's a small inkling of your mind it's always best to just be prepared beforehand instead of just showing up and being told no because of decisions you've made So, one thing that is in the official tournament guides is that no dice can be used when in a tournament. Uh, We've had a lot of discussion about this, and mostly we've found that dice are just too easy to manipulate accidentally. Uh, A bump table can shift it, and then, you know, if someone's not paying attention for like two or three turns and that dice was on a three and it's been on a four this entire time, that calls a lot of things into question. And granted, one of the arguments is that tokens can be shifted around and stuff, but you actually had a good point about about this.
1: Yeah, the I mean, so if I have a die on my um, raiding knight showing that he's taken three damage uh, and he's one away from dying, and I bump the table, that three can flip to a two, and now there's a point of damage that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, whereas if you have tokens and you bump the table, and it slides one of your damage tokens from your raiding knight to your bulwark. Um, that damage still exists it's still on the table even if it's in the wrong place on the wrong creature it still exists and there's a higher chance of catching that because you can be like well wait a minute you never fought my bulwark did you and they say no i never fought your bulwark We're like, oh when we bumped the table that must have shifted the damage that must have been on the rating night it's a lot easier to correct a situation like that than it is to correct uh, a flipped die because you have to remember what the value is and not just count up and make sure that everything makes sense Right.
0: So the next one is one that I is like one of the few times where I'm like, oh, I wish people would read the, the tournament guides because this would just help them going forward through the effort that they put in. Because the thing that I've, I've really enjoyed with the game and watching what people make is like watching the, the, the different creations they come up with for, for keys because they're there's the fanciest part of the game. If you look at the starter box, like those keys are pretty fancy for cardboard po- punch out keys uh they look cool so people go through and they make their look their their cool looking keys and they're all black or they're copper, silver and gold which is you know it's fine if you're playing with friends super cool trust me like i love when people make cool stuff but if you're going to a tournament those keys must be red, blue and yellow and easily discernible on whether they're unforged or forged. They can't be like, this is my unforged pile and this is my forged pile and you're kind of moving them around because then again, it's just another one of those situations where it can be very ambiguous about what's happening. The the act of actually flipping like a flat piece or a flat something is really hard to accidentally flip over without, you know, you arm sweeping and they hit the table or whatever. It's more you have to try. Yeah, you really have to try to flip those over. So, you know, we're not playing pogs so it's not gonna accidentally (laughs) flip over for any reason so so when you're considering your keys and 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 you're gonna you definitely are gonna go play in a tournament make sure that one is red one is yellow and one is blue you know one thing you could do if with your uh with tokens that you have made already is just paint one side of them you know paint one side red one side yellow one side blue and that way you have it on the chrome and the The copper and the gold or, you know, your purple or whatever alternate colors you chose. You just paint the other side, flip it over. That's your forged key. Awesome. Yeah, it's that. That's just one thing you just want to make sure of when you're going to go play in a tournament.
1: Yeah, definitely. And they may that might be future proofing, too. When they design future sets, they may even have ways to interact with like destroy your opponent's red key. And there may be strategy to deciding which key you decide to forge your first time forging a key, because there is nothing that says you have to forge the red one first and then the blue one. So there may be eventual strategy as to which color you choose, or there could be benefits. If you have a red key forged, you gain an additional ember each turn. Like, you know, cards like this could exist, and it's an interesting design space for them to use.
0: Yeah, it's I think you're definitely right there there because there are keys there not card keys there are cards out there (laughs) right now that do destroy keys uh so a way to kind of maybe power that down a little bit is destroy target blue key or you know i i completely agree with that i definitely think it's more for them future proofing uh because they don't yeah they don't know really what they're going to print in the future i mean they have ideas but i
1: don't think they have anything right now yeah. Another thing uh, is that your tokens you can you can kind of use anything as a token. Um, it just can't obscure card information, um, and it has to be pretty clear what it is. They uh, they don't define what a token quote unquote is, so there might be some leeway in what you can use. Um, I, for example, have a, a counter that I use for Magic. It's a, it has a, a dial. Well, it has two dials, 0 through 9, next to each other. So it's 10's place, 1's place, and you can click through them. So they're solidly in place when you have them set. You have to put effort into into changing them. I like using that to track my Ember. Um, It's just easier to count. I can just see a number instead of counting how many things I have. Um, One of my peeves with the Ember tokens is that they can stack on top of each other. So it can be a little unclear at times how much Ember is actually being represented. Do they have 10 or do they have eight um which can be relevant if you have cards uh that steal ember or if you need to know how much ember you need to steal to prevent them from forging their third key and winning so i kind of prefer that um but one thing i have to be aware of is that the judge or marshal at a particular event i go to may not be fond of considering that as a token they may say no it's not a token it's a dial and that doesn't count as token and there's nothing to say that i'm wrong or they're wrong um so they get the uh the final say because it's the judge.
0: I think um, it could get misconstrued as a die, uh, and and that's that's why I think it might not be legal to use. But I mean, again, it's something we can look <laughs> we'll, bridge will cross when we come to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, for semantic purposes, i I would say that it it fails on the dice check because you can't roll it to randomly get a result, or you can't roll it to get any kind of result. Um, you can't really roll it at all, <laughs> uh, but that having been said, the judge still has a final say, whether I like it or not. Um, another item I use, I didn't I didn't get the starter set, um, the Professor. So if you go to YouTube and you look up Tolarian Community College, uh, there's a gentleman by, that goes by the name Professor, the Professor. Uh, and he does a lot of videos for Magic. And they're, they're really good. Like him or hate him, he does a good job with his videos. Um, and he recently went over the uh, Key Forge starter. And from a Magic player's perspective, is it worth... Buying the Keyforge starter. Um, I had already kind of pros and cons uh buying a starter myself, and I decided not to. I think I figured I would rather spend the $40 on four decks as opposed to spending uh 20 on tokens and pre-cons, really just the tokens, uh, and then 20 on, you know, decks. Um what I'm using instead for my tokens is uh, and I put a link in the show notes. I don't know if we can maybe put that in the description uh, when we publish it. But it's something, if you go to Amazon and you look up Learning Resources Centimeter Cubes Set of 1000, and they are these little cubes, centimeter cubes, uh, that are all sorts of different colors, red, yellow, green, pink, blue, white. um, And they work really, really well for everything that you need in the game. Uh, the red ones are great for damage. Um, the orange ones are great for Ember or the yellow ones are good for Ember, whichever one you want to do. You can do armor that way you can use, uh, I use the yellow ones to indicate which creatures have been stunned. Um, and they're, they're really, really, really useful, uh, as an alternative and they're cheap ish. I had already gotten them in the past for other gaming purposes. Um, and it's, what is it? It's $23 right now. Um, so, I mean, that's, I guess that's the same as buying a starter. Um, but you get a thousand of them as opposed to what you get in there. Um, you don't get any things that can represent keys, but, you know, whatever. You can just use a playing card and have it flipped up or down. Um, but those are pretty neat.
0: Yeah, and they have prize wall tokens and things like that. It's actually kind of funny because I felt that way initially until I read the rules and or the tournament rules and realize how this is supposed to work i felt that way about the official tokens that you get in the starter set namely the stun and uh, power tokens because they're cards that are the same dimensions as the cards themselves so when you put them on top of the card it actually obscures all the card information the intent is you're supposed to put it behind the card
1: which (laughs) but that can get cluttered That can get cluttered and annoying yeah,
0: I mean, it's supposed to work like it's supposed to work like an upgrade, so it it is what it is. So that kind of comes down to like the change tracker card as well, uh, which I actually hate the the official change tracker. Um, it's a card that has a circular token that has a hole punched in the center of it, and you're supposed to just put it so that the hole lines up <laughs> with the number of chains that you have. Uh, which is fine, but man, is that so prone to being bumped around, and then I have to remember how many chains I did have, and ugh, it's not my
1: thing. I know they're they're so worried about dice being manipulated, and yet that thing is worse than a yeah, die. It's that thing's like a, a heavy breathing from uh, from your opponent can shift your chains location. Yeah, it's
0: it's not my favorite thing. Um, and there are some cool alternate ones if you know somebody with a three D printer. Uh, check it out and check out Thingiverse. There's a lot of people who have p- posted up their custom chains trackers that are like circular dials. Um, I, I'm not sure the legality of them uh, because after they had posted this, some people had uh, brought those into question and I did not follow up on that. So I don't know. Uh, but effectively the chain tracker card and its associated token, so long as the former is clearly legible and does not emit any information compared to the official component. So, it's still, you can't, the, my original idea for this was to have something that you would put down and then uh, you could put a cube on top of it and I, I, in turn, have put cubes on top of it. It doesn't work, like, it can't emit the number that you have, the number of chains you have. Like, it needs to be clear oh, the moment you legible. look at
1: it, yeah. So you can't use process of elimination to say, okay, so I can see the three, I can see the five, but I can't see what number it's on. Judge, judge, I'm gonna need a ruling here. Yeah,
0: it, it's it is it, it's. I understand they want to make it as clean yeah, as possible, I, but yeah, it, it, you could use the process of elimination and figure it out. <laughs> um, but that, I mean, it ultimately the thing that it comes down to is if you go to a tournament and you you either already made decisions on that stuff or you know you you just have any questions about the tokens that you're bringing, just talk to the marshal or talk to the official. That is running the event, um, and just explain it to them. Nine times out of ten, people are going to be cool about it, you know. It, unless you know, if there is something very, very clear that it's going to be like, look, if there's no way, like, if they look at it and go, look, unfortunately, there's just it's too ambiguous. You know, you're at a, you're likely at a game store. You can find something. A good marshal will probably know exactly what they can point you to at the store uh, that it will be cheap for you to use, but. If anything, if you're going to go to a tourna- tournament, just avoid dice at, at any cost that you can because...
1: Well, it's it's not even avoiding dice. You you can't use dice in any way, shape, or form. Just leave them at home. There's nothing. I mean, aside from maybe figuring out who randomly goes first, you, you can't use dice. I mean, you can flip a coin for that if you really wanted right. to. Um, so just leave your dice at home. Don't even be tempted to use them. Yeah. And that's an interesting point for anyone that's going to maybe want to be a judge or a marshal or a tournament organizer or anyone involved in in setting up and running these things. Have a supply of tokens that you personally approve of. That way, if a player brings in uh, a bunch of dice not realizing that's illegal or they bring in tokens that you don't feel comfortable with them using, uh, maybe there's naked ladies on them you have something that you have already approved that that player can use in their, in their games. They don't have to take them with them, but like you can bring them over to the table. And be like, okay, use these, this means this, this means this, this means that. And you, you know that they're going to be representing things appropriately for that game. Um, what you don't want to do is have uh, two players both show up with no acceptable tokens and then get paired against each other. And then, okay, well, what do we do? I can't mooch off my opponent's tokens uh, and he can't do the same. So I guess we'll just remember everything. Um, that would that would really be annoying. And then you have to scramble for tokens and everything else. And it's just, it ends up being a little bit of a, a mess at that point. So lesson pre-learned here, bring your own tokens if you're going to run an event so that you have some for uh, for those that maybe run something a little
0: awkward. Yeah, and and honestly, if you're, if you're into playing tournaments and you and you want to have like clear, you know, tokens for for the game, check out Etsy. I I've gone through Etsy and, and and how new this game is. There are people putting out ridiculously cool tokens and keys and things like that on Etsy, and they're gonna be obviously at an upcharge because a lot of these people are kind of making these in their spare time. Uh, but definitely support those too uh if ffG isn't putting out like their own official you didn't buy the starter set ki- key keys and tokens like check out Etsy <laughs> and or, or just your local I mean even amazon yeah. like some people have posted some stuff up there although that gets dicey uh, with third-party resellers uh, and things like that so uh, Let's see what you uh did yeah, there. that was uh, that's terrible Or...
1: <laughs> or raid your old games. Uh, I have uh, the Netrunner uh, board game that Fantasy Flight came out with, and I was originally raiding that for you know different tokens to represent damage and uh, keys and everything else until I stumbled across my little collection of centimeter cubes um, that I've used instead. And uh, you can kind of just pull from a bunch of your different board game boxes um, and go from there if you need to, as long as it's it's pretty obvious like what they were. Oh yeah, like uh, Steve, you were you have the the Mercs tabletop game. They have these little blood droplet looking tokens um you're using those for damage and those are awesome they're so much better than the um the damage tokens that uh they come yeah
0: with. the i i do have the starter set so i do have all the official tokens but the the felt backs on those mercs tokens when they sit on the card is very nice because so it doesn't like slide on, slide around as much as the um as the, the cardboard tokens do but yeah, I've been using those. I still use the regular amber tokens, though. I do like the little uh, craft store crystals that you can get. That are generally colored, yeah. and they or uh, you can get them at a lot of game stores too. They usually come in like a tube, uh, and they are see through, and they're they're little like. Um, if you ever played, Ascension, the tokens, oh, yeah. the one tokens for that are the same same style. Uh, man, I have also so many Ascension tokens. I could probably cannibalize some of that for for KeyForge as well.
1: That's true. Although the red ones are huge compared to... Yeah,
0: I don't think I'd use the red ones for that. Although the red ones yeah. actually would be great plus one, plus one counters. Or plus one counters. Oh, that's
1: true. Right, because they're um, they're they're so large. You don't often get a lot of power increases, so those would be good. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I might have to steal my own Ascension cubes for that then.
0: Yeah, so I think that kind of brings us to the, the end here. Um, I'm actually really excited for next week, uh, specifically because of the whole like that time of triumph goes live. Uh, hopefully we hear more about that coming in the next weeks and we'll have some more stuff to talk about there. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to try to play in another tournament uh, this time. Uh, I think we're actually running it because we want to make sure
1: that it happens. So yeah, be the change you want to see in your local gaming environment.
0: Exactly. All right, guys, well, see you next Friday and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. You can say bye if you want, Ryan.
1: No, I, I, don't want to say bye i can't think of anything now i'm on the spot
0: all right (laughs) i'm leaving that in go
1: to hell you go
0: to hell and you die i'm not leaving that part in all right (laughs) bye everyone